This is Laree Daniel Favors, and welcome to The Hub. Checkup, and I'm excited about this conversation. We're bringing back one of our our A-listers for the Hood Medicine crew. We've got the amazing Dr. Jane Morgan, and thank you. So we are appreciative of her because she's been here several times talking with us about a variety of issues uh, that relate to the coronavirus and relate to a variety of other physical ailments. And today, we're going to be tapping into her expertise as a cardiologist. Uh, Dr. Jane Morgan, are you there? Can you hear me? I am. Nice to be here. Nice to have you back. We always appreciate it when the Hood Medicine crew provides us with the expertise of folks like yourself. And and we know that we are in the middle of Women's History Month. Last month, we talked a lot about heart health. So uh, today, we thought we'd get into some of your expertise as a cardiologist for our routine checkup segment. This is actually something I'm personally interested in. I have a cardiologist because I have some concerns for my own self. So I know that this is not a a strange issue, or it's not an issue, I should say, that I'm a stranger to. But the, the statistics are, are really astonishing. Heart disease, according to the research, is the number one cause of death for black women. Now, when I read that, Dr. Morgan, I got to be honest with you, my mouth dropped open, but 50,000 black women die from complications of cardiovascular diseases annually, and 60% of black women over the age of 20 have some form of cardiovascular-related condition. Why on earth are the statistics so devastatingly high for black women? Well, let's uh, talk about that. The statistics are high for Americans. And, you know, when um, America sneezes, black people get pneumonia. Yeah. So uh, it's the number one cause of death, heart disease, of all Americans in the United States and has been for a number of years. Even COVID didn't knock it off its mantle. The number one cause of death of women in the United States, it is not breast cancer, which certainly is important and gets a lot of visibility, but heart disease is the number one killer of women. Mm. And it is also, therefore, the number one killer of black women um, as well and especially, and we can certainly focus on that today. What is it about America that causes our hearts to fail? Like what, is there something unique about our country, about what we're eating? I, I, what is it about this place that seems to have that impact? Really, where do I start with this? You know, we can certainly talk about um, our diet and our lifestyle in an industrialized nation. Uh, so much is uh, uh, digitized and automated. Uh, we don't uh, move around even uh, with normal activities of daily living. We don't exercise as much. Um, and most of that exercise in earlier generations was done just as a part of living, what mm. you needed to do to survive. Even, you know, cutting the grass, you were pushing the lawnmower and creating effort, uh, walking to the store, um, those types of things. Even Even getting up to cross the room to change the television station. You know, we don't think about all those steps and all those things we had to do just to live that were a normal part of our existence that we do not do anymore. And then the other thing we have to think about is how the society here in the United States is constructed, specifically if we're talking about blacks, we're talking about African-Americans and that entire societal construct um, and how that even begins with social determinants of health um, all the way back to education and what 
type of education you receive, where you receive that education. Um, are, do you go on to higher education? Are you able to get a good job? When you get the job, are you able to be promoted? And we see at every single level, regardless of the amount of education and experience that a black person achieves, their um, ability to earn more money and to be promoted and to meet, move upward in the system begins to go backwards, and there's an inverse relationship. Mm. The more qualified the person is, the less likely they are to move forward, and the bigger the wealth gap gets. In fact, the biggest wealth gap is amongst the top 5% of black earners and, um, and white America. And so you can see how all of that really comes together because what? It determines um, what you can afford. So it determines what types of foods uh, you may eat. Fruits and vegetables, very healthy, are very expensive, mm-hmm. may not be conducive to uh, your budget. And what foods are inexpensive? The highly processed foods, yep. uh, foods that have a lot of trans fat, foods that are quick, those types of foods are cheap and budget-friendly, but then also lead to all types of problems later on when we add this into the prevalence of obesity and lack of movement. Um, and so the ability to earn a good income makes a difference. It determines what neighborhood you live in. It determines whether or not you have parks and walkable spaces. Mm. It determines even the quality of insurance that you can afford. Insurance does matter because a type of insurance can limit you or provide access for you to specialists and, mm. and uh, medications and these types of things. Do you have pharmacies in your neighborhood? Um, do you have supermarkets in your neighborhood or are you shopping for your primary groceries at the dollar store where everything wow. is packaged and processed? And we have lots of communities like that. So I can just go on and on and on. I think you kind of get the gist of it. Or if, if, you're, if you're not able to afford a car, then you are uh, dependent on public transportation or you're limited in the types of jobs that you can take that are within walking distance. Um, or you're on public transportation, if we have pandemics or, or outbreaks, you are more likely to be exposed, more likely uh, to die, more likely to bring it back to your family. So on and on and on. Wow. So we are definitely in a cycle, and heart disease is caught up in that as well. You know, when I first saw the numbers, I, I thought, you know, I was kind of joking. I was like, are we dying from broken hearts? <laughs> like, are we, is it, is it the, the stress of it all and all the, the anguish of it all? Our hearts are breaking. No, for... that is absolutely true. So we are looking at a lot of data on the stress of racism mm. on the, on the heart of black women because it appears that from a cardiovascular standpoint, black women have uh, a life expectancy that's three years less um, than, um, than the average American. And the ongoing, pervasive, unrelenting stress of managing, negotiating, and navigating the microaggression mm. of uh, your workplace corporate America and the um, external streets of America, just navigating a shopping center, navigating a restaurant, navigating um, a route to drive, 
that type of thing. And and then the mothers of black sons, like myself and mm. many others, we have sons, we have brothers, we have husbands, that pervasive concern and worry about what will happen in the course of a normal day that wow. could turn tragic uh, simply because um, our sons are black. That ongoing stress is 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 born more uh, in the female heart mm. um, and the female responsibility responsibility and the nurturer, especially for our sons and our husbands. So that is real. And we are beginning to write about that and talk about that and acknowledge what that ongoing, unrelenting, pervasive, chronic level of stress does to our hearts over time. Mm. You know, I, I sometimes joke around with my friends. I'm like, y'all, we just need to leave the country just because the air is killing us here. And, you know, we can use that mm-hmm. phrase for environmental injustice, of course. But I'm talking about the racism air. And, and now it seems as though the science is at least bearing out uh, what I, I, you know, in a very morbid kind of way, laugh about with my sister friends. But it seems to me that it could, how could it not be that our hearts are, are debilitated by the great levels of stress? We know that stress manifests in the body as disease. And it, it seems to me just completely logical that with all of the stressors that we're navigating, it is abs. I mean, just, planning a vacation, planning, the, as you mentioned, the, the going, picking which route to drive. I was reminded we were planning a vacation a couple right. years ago when we used to vacation. And just the idea of navigating some of the spaces caused me to stress out. I was like, I can't even plan the fun part of the vacation because we got to drive through here. We got to navigate through there. And thinking about my, yeah, as you said, right. my, my son, my husband worried about them. And it, so of course that is going to show up in the body. And with all of that and, information. And white America doesn't think about that. I mean, we mm. have to, especially if we are on a road trip, we have to think about where we're going to be during the night part of that road trip. And do we want to drive through this area at night? Make Mm. sure you're already through there before nightfall. If not, just stop and start again the next day. I mean, this this is crazy, but but we live this way. This is a part of our normal living. And if you choose not to do it, your parents, your sisters, your brothers, whoever else are up all night. I hope they made it through. That was really stupid. I wish they hadn't driven through there at night. I told them to wait. And, you know, it's just, it's, a, it's an incredible way to live, but it is how we live because it is, it is how we have to survive. Yeah. But you're right. It um, manifests as that chronic, unrelenting stress of heart disease as well. Mm. Wow. Now, I'm, I'm seeing in one of the chats that uh, some folks heard what you had to say about our lack of movement uh, at the beginning of your first comment. And they say, you, you, she said we're all lazy in the nicest of ways. Now, Dr. <laughs> Dr. Morgan, what you no, were talking No, I didn't say we were all lazy. <laughs> I'm saying that Americans are in, and, and, I, and this wasn't a comment about blacks at all. This is about America, an industrialized nation. Yes. That the upside is that we are by and large, a wealthy nation, and we have all types of technology at our fingertips. fingertips. The downside is that it means that we move less because Mm -hmm. we are a wealthy nation, and we have all types of technology at our fingertips. And even things that we used to do as just a part of um, managing our everyday life, we can actually get around it. And just think about it. You can have groceries delivered to your door. You know, it actually expends energy to go to the market and walk up and down the aisles and lug your groceries into the car and then bring them in. 
Mm. Now, just pick them up off the shelf. Think about how much, how many fewer calories you are now expending, uh, but you're eating the same. Right. But you're or worse. Fewer calories. <laughs> so just that type of automation mm. um, has been incorporated into our lives, but we have not. And at the same time, our eating patterns have changed to more convenient, fast, uh, processed foods, which supposedly were going to uh, solve some of our time problems with big, with families, managing yep. your families. Yep. But the fact of the matter is we now know that those foods, although they uh, do go a long way in solving some of the time um, issues we have and preparing meals and both parents working, but they, it's also unhealthy. So mm. that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying that anyone's lazy, and that wasn't a, a comment about any race. This is a, a comment about America mm. and how we when we think about exercise in a previous generation, there was a certain amount of movement, Mm. meaning calories being burned just in living every day that we have now removed because of automation and and, uh, being uh, digitized with so many things. Just think about using the computer. We sit and tap on our computer. We used to um, have to walk to the printer, print a lot of papers, come back to the printer, lug books, have satchels, move. All of that requires energy and effort. It burns energy and calories. Mm. We don't do those things anymore. And we don't think about it and we haven't compensated for it. And so we see um, America and indeed the world. This is really a worldwide problem in industrialized nations, Europe as well, uh, the Middle East we see us bulging and bulging and bulging. So is this why that phrase movement is medicine is so important? Because physical activity is something that I, you know, I have my workout time. I try to work out, you know, 35 to 45 minutes a day, but that's at oh, one that's part of the day. Well, well, I have to, because I, I have a cardiologist. <laughs> my cardiologist has right. made it clear being skinny does not mean you're healthy. And like, I remember when I was pregnant right. with my daughter and they said I had gestational diabetes, I was so un- uninformed, Dr. Morgan, that the first thing I just blurted out viscerally was, I can't have diabetes. I'm skinny. And they were like, ma'am, that ain't got nothing to do with the fact that you eat too much damn sugar (laughs) just because you process it well. So I I have my workout time in the morning. It's absolutely required for me to do so. And and frankly, if I don't work out, my back starts to have all sorts of things. So working out for me is literally how I manage my day. But that's only in the morning. Is there something that I should be doing throughout the day to continue movement? When they're saying movement is medicine, how far should we take that in light of everything that you just laid out for us? Yeah, it's really important, and, and, and I don't want to miss a point that um, you that, that kind of uh, went past today, and you, you may not be aware, and I want your, your listeners to be aware. You said something, you said two things to me that are incredibly important today and that are connected, and I want to make that connection for you. One, you said you're seeing a cardiologist now, um, and you're having some issues, and you're managing them. Number two, you said that when you were pregnant, you had gestational diabetes. Yes. Those two things are connected. <gasps> Pregnancy. This is something that I really want everybody to understand, especially the black community. Pregnancy is the first stress test that a woman will ever undergo because of the volume um, overload from pregnancy. It is, in fact, a stress test. If during this stress test, this pregnancy, you develop 
preeclampsia, eclampsia, hypertension, or gestational diabetes, you have essentially failed your stress test. Oh, snap. And like any patient who would come to see me or any doctor who fails their stress test, you must be referred to a cardiologist for further evaluation because we know that women who develop these complications in pregnancy, that is now an indicator that their mortality, their risk of dying from heart disease is two times higher than the rest of the population. So after your baby is born, after your baby is delivered safely, then you must follow up with a cardiologist to have long-term management and prevention of heart disease because you have already declared that you are at risk of heart disease and that your risk is twice as high as the normal population. That transference of a woman from the OBGYN to the cardiologist, especially the black woman, almost never happens. The baby is born, the woman goes home, everything is fine. And that last piece of information, ma'am, you now need to follow up with the cardiologist, doesn't get relayed. So you, know you what's now funny, have Dr. Morgan. things about you that, that are connected. Wow. It is not by happenstance that you are now seeing a cardiologist. Although, you know, I wasn't referred to one by the, the after my child. I, I know. I it know. It came I'm about because of something else. Like, that is there absolutely insane to me because most but of the sister friends I have, have had referred. those complications. There you go. Wow. You should have been referred. Okay. Absolutely. So now that my mind is blown once again, uh, this idea mm-hmm. about the, the sustainability of that physical movement, should we, is it just yes. enough to, to have physical movement at one part of the day? I have a, a friend of mine who just ordered a, uh, one of those desks. It's a, I have a standing desk cause you know, back issues, but she has a treadmill desk where now she can walk while she's on the computer. <laughs> would you recommend we go that far or, or for those of us who you can't afford what? a treadmill Here's desk, what, what would I'll you say. suggest? Bless your heart if you're that steady and coordinated and you can walk and talk and tap on the computer. Good for you. Um, I almost wonder if that's a risk for injury at some point because you've got to have all your faculties about you to be walking, talking, typing, thinking, you know, scrolling the Internet and all the things you have to do. So if you can do that, great. If not, it sounds like a risk for injury because you've got to manage a lot of things if you're doing that. Now, maybe if you're walking very slowly, Mm -hmm. um, but not a bad idea, but everybody, you need to know what kind of uh, balance you have and what kind of person you are and whether you are easily distracted or very focused before you get on a treadmill at the same time that you're managing your uh, work day. So that's just something that I would think. And some people can do it, but some people need to be honest with themselves and say, you know, I probably can't do that. Right. So, um, so that's something to think about. I think, you know, you exercising 30, 30 35 minutes a day is great. Um, if you can just get out and walk, um, you know, the weather we're in this, you know, season where it's cold some days, warm some days, cold some days, warm some days. If you can get out and walk as the weather starts to get better, that's really, really excellent. Movement really is key. You can, and I know I'm, I'm repeating things that people have heard many times. You can incorporate walking into your day, we used to say, but now a lot of people are, are working from home. Yeah. So that I will say, you know, close your laptop and see if you can walk outdoors. We get back to 
Um, do you live in a safe neighborhood? Do you feel safe walking outdoors? Then that mm. goes back to yeah. um, what type of job do you have? Um, what type of education did you receive? Are you being paid fairly at work? Are you being promoted at work such that mm. you can afford to move your family into neighborhoods where you can now close your computer and walk? So it all um, uh, rolls into one another. But absolutely, movement is key. We want you to move. When we say move at a vigorous move, not sort of, um, you know, move from one chair to the other in the living room. We want you to get up and really have vigorous movement. And that could be any number of things. I'm a Pilates instructor. I teach uh, Pilates three times a week. I think Pilates is great um, for mind, body, spirit, core strength, that balance that you're going to need on that treadmill. If you're using that while you're walking on the computer, um, while you're working on the computer. Um, But you also need to probably burn a few more calories than that as well during the day. Mm. Um, So find something that you can do, maybe that you can do alone, such that you're not always dependent on your partner, something that you can get out and do even if your partner isn't there. And that's why I'm a proponent of walking or running Mm. or uh, Pilates or these online exercises where if your partner's not available, then you don't exercise that day because uh, you've got this accountability partner. Um, I prefer that people have something that they can do on their own that's independent of any other person that they can do whenever they fit it into their schedule. Okay. Now, one of the other things that was a shock for me was how early these concerns begin, right? So when I was had gestational diabetes, I was in my mid-30s. And, you know, right. I thought, you know, I'm young. What's going on? And again, I thought I was skinny. So that I thought that avoided a whole lot of things. I was really surprised to find out that heart disease risk factors for black women really start very early, like in our 20s. And it's not just impacting the aunties and the grandmamas and, you know, my mom and them's friends. It's young women in their early 20s, mid-20s, like, 20s what 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 are we missing in terms of education about the fact that we should know this I should not have been surprised to find this out while I'm in my 40s but with the risk factors starting so much earlier for us is that in comparison to America generally are there other monitoring or preventative factors that need to start early to account for the fact that risk factors for heart disease start in our 20s how should we deal with that aspect of it so two things to think about with that we are beginning to talk about the toxicity of obesity. And the toxicity of obesity centers around, we are seeing overall in the United States, uh, a decrease in cancer rates uh, for everybody, uh, which is is great. So a lot of our preventive strategies um, have been working, preventive screenings are catching cancers early, Uh, fewer people are dying, but there's an exception to that. The exception is people in their 30s and younger. In Mm. fact, people born in the 90s have a higher death rate than people born in the 80s. (gasps) People born in 2000 have a higher death rate than people born in the 90s. This is the first time in history that we are seeing the clock work backwards. So why is that? We've begun to take a look at why we are seeing now successive generations have a lower uh, lifespan expectancy Mm -hmm. 
and it is because of the prevalence of obesity at such a young age. It used to be in previous generations, if you put on weight at all, remember, previous generations um, had a lot more movement, and each generation before it had more and more movement, right? You were, you were plowing fields, and everybody's working physical work. It required a lot of physical work. Mm. But what we see now is, and so when you put on weight, if you put on weight, you tended to put on weight when you're older. You're in your 40s, 50s, 60s. But most of your younger life, you were fairly slender. Right. Um, what we see now is that people can be overweight, not just overweight, I will be very transparent, obese um, from childhood. Mm. By the time they're in their 40s and 50s, when generally previous generations maybe would start to put on weight, they've been overweight 40 or 50 years already. Wow. Well, so Dr. Morgan, that, though, you know, there's that's a controversial thing for a lot of people to hear because we're in this era of body positivity. We we don't want to body shame. Yeah. I, I don't hear you engaging so, in that. I hear you saying there is a price to be paid when so, your body has excess weight, regardless of how you feel about how you present that body. There is a physical cost that comes with that. Am, am I interpreting what you're saying correctly? Yeah. Absolutely. And so let me say this, because I've, I've done, I do sterile chronicles. If anybody would like to follow me on Instagram at That's Dr. Right. Jane Morgan, D-R-J-A-Y-N-E-M-O-R-G-A-N. I do sterile chronicles. I sit on the stairs and I talk with you about a medical topic in 60 seconds or less. I covered body shaming in mm. 60 seconds or less. And here is um, a snapshot of what I said. Um, I am a doctor and I am talking to you about your health, not about your appearance. Mm. So you can talk with somebody else about your appearance. I'm talking to you about your health. Mm. Okay. And they are so not necessarily when we're talking the same. about health, when we're talking about health, obesity at 40 and 50, by the time you are in your 40s and 50s, you've had three, four, and five decades continuously of being overweight, that is increasing not only the rates of heart disease, but it's increasing the rate of cancer. I am not wow. talking about how you look. I'm talking about your health. I am a cardiologist. I'm talking with you about your mm. health. Yeah. And That's data amazing. is what it is. Mm. successive generations, not even generations, we're not even going, we're not even spanning an entire generation. We're talking about the difference between people born in the 90s and people born in 2000, people born in the 80s and people born in the 90s. We're not even talking generations. We're talking each decade. Mm. There is a change, and that change is negative. And I've already said when America sneezes, black people get pneumonia, who do you think is suffering the most? and is having the most decrease in life years impacted wow. with obesity. So wow. you can, you know, you can troll me and say I'm body shaming, I, you know, whatever. I haven't said anything about how you look. I'm talking about your health, your life expectancy, the uh, duration of obesity, and that it's not innocuous there is a price to pay with your health and wow. we've got to get serious about it 
Now, Dr. Morgan, is this something that is is universal? I, I've seen, you know, a lot of folks who've said, well, black people, we always carry our weight a little heavier. We've got the bigger butts. We've got the bigger hips. And and how do we, you know, I'm being, I'm, I'm playing advocate here. How do we distinguish between, you know, culture and, and health, you know, and, and if our health measurements are based on white bodies, then, you know, did they account for the fact that we carry heavier weight? You know, because in Africa, Dr. Morgan, I'm saying this really facetiously, but in Africa, they got big people there. You know, it just, it's cultural, Dr. Morgan. What would you say to that? Um, so a couple of things, um, regardless of what your body type is or body size, um, obesity is obesity, and it's not even a measure of whether we are comparing the parameters by race, whites, Asians, or blacks. It is your body mass index, mm. and the fact of the matter is if you take a look at yourself, you know if you're carrying extra pounds regardless of your body type. Right. So determine whether you think, if you're honest with yourself, that you are overweight for your body type. I'm not making judgment about your body type. This is, the data is what it is. And for some reason, we have elevated heart disease, we have increased cancer rates, and we didn't have it before. We got the same body type. Come on now. So... Now what's happening with our body types? Is, is, is my body type different from successive generations? Mm. No. So if we want to talk about body type, and, you know, we always carry a little more, more weight in our hips and in our bottoms and in our thighs, and we've always done that. Okay, well, why are we dying more now then? Same mm. body type. Maybe right. you're packing on too much on that body type too. Wow. Okay. That sound you all hear is toes being stepped on, my, my own included. Uh, Dr. Morgan, we only have a few minutes left, and I am so grateful that we got to go down these rabbit holes. What should we know about the warning signs for heart attack and stroke? Now that we're aware of how much more at risk we are for it, I think after this I might go outside and just run around in a circle for a little while just to get some more activity. Right. What, what warning signs should be, we be aware of for heart attack and strokes? So a couple of things, um, women, the, especially for women, I'm talking to women now, your signs and symptoms of heart disease may be different from men. Mm. And one thing uh, to keep in mind is that a heart attack for a woman is more often fatal than it is for a man. Mm. And here's why we think that happens. Because the signs and symptoms of a heart attack at times for women can be different, it may not be this very dramatic crushing chest pain, sweating, um, you lose consciousness, this big dramatic, you know, which, is, which can be a heart attack. But it may be something more, symptom, more, more, more subtle. Sometimes women just complain of, I feel run down all the time. Yeah. I feel like I have yeah. flu symptoms or I'm tired or my mm. back is always hurting. Um, my jaw is hurting, which might actually send us to the dentist. Mm. Um, we've got to, those kinds of symptoms, which absolutely can be attributed to a number of things and not your heart, sometimes can go on for so long until we damage our heart. And then when we have that first heart attack, that first heart attack can be fatal. Or we have a silent heart attack 
In other words, we have a heart attack and we don't realize we've had it. Mm. And then when we have the heart attack of which we're aware of, it becomes fatal. And listen to this, even doctors have difficulty discerning heart symptoms for women. In fact, only 22% of primary care physicians said they even felt comfortable managing a woman with with, um, heart disease. And only 42% of cardiologists said they feel comfortable assessing a woman's risk of heart disease. And if you were surprised that only 42% of cardiologists feel comfortable, remember, the majority of cardiologists are men. And we also have data to show that a woman who is seeing a female cardiologist has a better outcome than a woman who's seeing a male cardiologist. And it probably has to do with gender bias. So you so just think conf- about that as well. My, I'm like, I'm, I'm stumbling over words because I have a, an older white gentleman who is my cardiologist. And for the past couple of visits, I'm like, you know, I need to find me a sister. I need to, you know, he's fine. Mm-hmm. He's perfectly, you know, whatever. But, you know, most of my doctors are black. He's the one, you know, because it's hard to find a cardiologist. He was the one that was available. Right. But I just recently learned about this new sister. Uh, she's not new. She's new to me, but she's at NYU. And I'm like, you know what? I still get my NYU benefits because I'm still paying off them student loans. So I'm, I was just thinking right. I need to see if I can get on her list and to hear you say that mm-hmm. i think i am going to make that one of the first health calls i make this is absolutely yeah. fascinating i hate that we're at the end of our, our segment today i didn't even realize how much was going to come out of this i had additional right. questions but i you know you're one of the all-stars of the hood medicine crew uh so we, we know you will be <laughs> back and we will definitely have you back how can people follow you dr morgan get more insight to this uh, i know you before you've talked about covid we've talked about a bunch of things but this is something i really want people to be able to connect with you with uh, how can they follow well, you and get absolutely. more information and I would love to talk about menopause and heart disease in the black community, oh, too. Oh, yes, ma'am. therapy. But you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, mm-hmm. YouTube at Dr. Jane Morgan, D-R-J-A-Y-N-E-M-O-R-G-A-N. I uh, talk science all the time. I try mm-hmm. to make certain people have science and health literacy, and that's really all I talk about. Give you a few pearls on science, wisdom, help you stay healthy. Stay informed. So feel free to follow me. Um, you know, ask me questions, DM me. I answer everybody. And, and I also do Stairwell Chronicles. And I will have a Stairwell Chronicles live just this Thursday at 6.30 p.m. And I am going to discuss race norming in medicine, mm. formulas and algorithms that impact blacks negatively that are a standard part of medical practice. And I'll be doing that wow. Instagram live this Thursday. Well, y'all need to follow Dr. Jane Morgan. I follow Dr. Jane Morgan, and we need to make sure that we get this information. Uh, Dr. Morgan, you you kind of blow my mind today, and I knew what we were talking about, so I can only imagine the impact for folks in the audience. Uh, but thank you once again for coming through as powerfully as you always sure. do. It's always a pleasure to have you here. We really appreciate you. Thank you. I'll talk thank to you, you later. Have a great day. You too.